Hello, you're listening to the Mag Culture podcast recorded right here in the Mag Culture shop, Clerkenwell, London. I'm Jeremy Leslie. And I'm Liv Siddall. Hello and welcome to the Mag Culture podcast. Hi, Jeremy. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Good. Uh, last time I saw you was when we were in New York for Mod Mag. Absolutely. Uh, it was excellent. We, um, I guess we're, in this episode, we'll be sharing some of the knowledge that we came away with from the incredible speakers that we saw speak that day. Um, but first up, we're going to run through a few magazines and magazine news straight from Mag Culture HQ. Yeah, we'll come back to find a whole load of news, lots of stuff to look at. Um, there's magazines. There's also a big fat book about magazines or about about a particular magazine about ray gun. Excellent. From what the nineties. What is ray gun? Can you explain? Ray gun was a music magazine that uh, sort of came up at, uh, along, alongside the grunge era, so the Pixies, Nirvana. Um, but it's much broader in its coverage of music than that. It lasted uh, maybe about ten years, um, but it was perhaps better known for its design, for the way it looked. Uh, David Carson was the art director, and he deconstructed. Um, the pages to make them as sort of messy and screwed up as possible and it was very kind of uh, controversial at the time. The book tells the story of the magazine, how it started and how it was a kind of rebellion against the, the, the mainstream magazines at the time, um, Rolling Stone and Spin, which were very regarded to being straight and uh, mainstream. Cool, excellent. Uh, but it's, it is a lovely book, it's got lots to it, but in a way perhaps the most interesting thing now is looking back at it is that it is it, it kind of looks very old, <laughs> which, is, which it is, it is old. <laughs> But it, it kind of it's really hard to it's the the aesthetic that Carson uh, invoked was is, has become such a sort of familiar aesthetic now that it's hard to imagine that at the time it was so different. Right. I mean, to, to give you an example, I mean, every single front cover had a different logo on it. The name Raygun was presented a different way every time, um, and a lot of people at the time were absolutely appalled by it. And there was a there's a quote I wanted to read from the book. Uh, there's an essay by Stephen Heller. Uh, the design um, expert historian, um, and he makes the point really well. The modernists were appalled, and that's such a great word, appalled, uh, <laughs> by the irresponsible laissez-faire attitudes regarding essential details like leading, words, word spacing and kerning and stuff. Um, the rules that established graphic design as a prestigious field were being flaunted in the name of fashion and style. Cool. It was, it was, <laughs> pe- people were angry, so Massimo Vignelli wrote a review of, a, of an earlier book about David Carson where he absolutely laid into uh, uh, into him and his work in a very um, he was completely unconvinced by by it as a sort of stylistic distraction but actually now it turns out it's been hugely influential and very important that's so cool uh, and the book the book is great there's there's um, it sits alongside things like the um, the big book about New York magazine which we've talked about before yeah. and that is so well produced and this is maybe not quite as well produced as that but then maybe that's as much as anything is part of the aesthetic itself. More fitting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. wouldn't be right if there was a kind of big, kind of glossy, um, yeah, no, it, it, yeah, exactly, coffee table book exactly. about yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. So, but yeah. nonetheless, it's a great record of that magazine in that time. Cool. Uh, so I think that's coming out soon. We should have copies soon. Um, then there's magazines, as we say. So you were looking through the, the, the new shelf. Yeah, it's been so good to go through and see what there is to offer. Uh, the first one is a magazine called The Neat Review, uh, issue one. Always exciting to see a first issue. This magazine uh, I was very uh, interested in because I didn't really, it didn't pop out on the shelf because of its kind of black and white cover and it's quite, um, it's quite stark. But you said that it was a magazine about magic and I instantly picked it up. Like, what, what's this going to be? 
And it's this magazine created by Alexander Hansford, who's a London-based card magician, who has created this very well-designed magazine for and about magicians, uh, but also including art, theatre, photography, um, TV, that kind of thing. And it's very well put together and it makes magic seem very trendy, really. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure if it was a men's magazine because there are no women seemingly in here. It's, it's very in-depth and it's just this... It's, it's a, what I love about magazines is it gives you a window into a scene that you weren't um, sort of privy to before. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly it. So if you have any interest in the strangely beguiling world of magic and card trickery, then this is the magazine for you. There's a very, very long interview with Darren Brown in here and lots of other people who I'm sure in the, ma in the magic scene are quite big names, but I don't know who they yeah. are. But yeah, really fascinating. And I just love when a magazine comes along and just kind of surprises you. So that's that's really Absolutely. cool. It's good to be surprised. And people often ask, so, so where's there a gap in the magazine market? Yeah, <laughs> card trickery. <laughs> who would have come up with magic? Pick a card, any card. <laughs> Yeah, very nice indeed. Well, uh, and then well there also... was a gap we didn't know need for the filling, but it's beautifully done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Also, I wanted to, uh, there's a new issue of Dazed, uh, which is no surprise, but it has been talked about quite a lot online because there was a really great interview, sort of interview, with uh, Frank Ocean. And it's a bit sort of, basically, it's the feature asks about 40 people of note. If you could ask Frank Ocean one question, what would it be? And Frank uh, answers each question a bit sort of like a very high-end Reddit Q&A. Um, which I think is, is great. So you've got so many different voices in here, all very cool names, huge names from the world of fashion and music mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. And it's just a really, really insightful look into his mind. And he just seems like this crazy genius. And it's just very well done. And yeah, much more readable than actually, I think if this was like a big long read, I, I may not have delved in. But because it's written in this format and presented like this, it just... It's so good as a magazine feature, mm -hmm. and it's the kind of thing that works well in magazines. So, maybe wouldn't do as well online. Yeah, it's good. It's good to write things in different ways and different using different kind of yeah. techniques, isn't it? Maybe there's been so much written about Frank Ocean already that there's not another long piece to be written. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so sometimes I, th I think that technique can be slightly, I don't know, not not lazy but maybe it's a sort of easy way around of getting a feature but that actually that one does work because of the nature of the people they've got asking the questions exactly and it's just it's days sort of showing off about their contributor pool yeah, you know, yeah, you've got yeah. these incredible names just kind of they could just email being like oh do you want to ask Frank Ocean a question they're like yeah sure I'll get back to you in a minute that kind of mm -hmm. is a really it's very dazed and it's very it's just very cool mm -hmm. and it's snappy and it's sharp and it portrays him very well. So yeah, excellent. Also, uh, more music-y things. I just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to The Fader, uh, the spring style issue, uh, which on the cover is Billie Eilish. Eilish? Um, and there's a great interview with her in here. I'm fascinated by her. But the portrait on the front uh, is a photograph by Daria Kobayashi Rich, and it's of Billie. And she's just looking straight into the camera with her trademark jewelry on, but she's got this, um, a life plastic bag of her head, which just, I don't know, I, I haven't seen a cover for a while that really makes me want to just mm -hmm. buy a magazine, just own it. And this is definitely one that's done that for me. And it's just fantastic. So yeah, definitely worth buying a copy of The Fade if you can. But do not try that at home. But don't, don't be putting- um, <laughs> Plastic bags over your head. Even if they're branded, don't put them over your head. So, and then one more, we have Banana Magazine, which I'm not too familiar with, but I know you are, Jeremy, so do you want to... Well, that's one of a couple of magazines I wanted to mention that we brought back with us from New York, because although we've stopped Banana Magazine before, one of the frustrations of running a magazine shop in London is that anything from outside of London, in particular from the States, takes a long time to get here, so it was, it was nice to be able to pack our luggage and, and, and bring a few magazines back. Banana is, uh, is an annual magazine, this is the fifth issue, 
uh, and it's uh, it covers life as an uh, as an Asian and an Asian culture amongst the people that live in America. And so it's you know it's an interesting take on that. The name banana and the fact that the cover always has a has, a, has an unpeeled banana on 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 it. Uh, parodies the easy kind of um, racism of the term banana when applied to Asian people and um, it's a great magazine it's, it's a lively thing it's, it, it does it uh, really keen to get them involved in in, uh, in mod mag in New York next year the other project we brought back was a lovely much smaller project called um, day plus night which we've written about and we've been talking to anybody about that will listen it's a lovely little um, tiny magazine that comes inside a cassette tape yeah, I actually thought it was a cassette tape. Um, yes, well, it's designed no to look idea. like. It's, yeah. it's absolutely. It's, it's like a mixtape, but instead of there being a, a cassette with music on, there's a bunch of little stories by various people around town in New York talking about their favourite songs. And there's 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 one song in there which kind of takes apart the whole kind of glamour of uh, being involved in music. It's a guy, uh, Peter Buchanan Smith, who I think used to art direct Paper magazine in mm. New York. But he's moved on to other things now, uh, and his his chosen song is a Wilco song. Um, handshake drugs and he talks about hanging out with Wilco to do with some work that he was doing and contrary to expectations in terms of it being a really kind of wild rock and roll time it's the most boring time he'd ever had <laughs> which doesn't sound like a good story but it's a lovely it's a well-told little story and there are 14 other stories or well, 13 other stories 14 in all in the little magazine and it's a charming little magazine that just kind of you know it tests the idea of what a magazine can be and how you can present it. I do think if you were seen to be reading that in public, you'd look quite weird. It's, like, <laughs> it's basically a tiny, yeah. thick, hardback book that is about the size of a pack of cigarettes. And I think yeah, just, you, you, if I saw one reading on the tube, I'd be like, what? Either I, I, I you're a religious nut reading some sort of yeah. tr- tract. Like um, a hotel Bible. Yeah, yeah. Or it's a guidebook. <laughs> I don't know, but it's, it's, a, it's a lovely little thing. We love it. Uh, one more is the Aperture issue 235, which has been guest edited by Tilda Swinton, no less. Uh, and it's got a great piece inside it by Lou Stoppard about Sleaze Nation magazine, which is well worth a read. And it focuses on Epidemic, which is a fashion story that ran in June 2001 in the uh, in the issue, which I had never seen. But Jeremy, you said that you had. You remember yes, that. I remember at the time. I remember Sleaze Nation very well. And I remember that shoot, which was sort of a creative art directed by Scott King of football hooligans wearing fashion was much commented on at the time. I, I mean, it was, a, it was a particular it was a thing. Uh, but that era of, of Steve's Nation was very exciting with Scott King uh, as both designing and kind of applying his kind of art hacking approach to, to the magazine. It's a very exciting time and, that, and that, that, it's great to see that that particular fashion story highlighted uh, again, what is it, 18 years later? Yeah, exactly. There's another piece about magazines in the new uh, magazine created by, which in this issue has, has been um, put together by Kim Jones from Dior. Uh, and that is, uh, it's back to Dazed, isn't it? There's a piece by Dazed founder Jefferson Hack, uh, which opens, he, he, he sort of explains the, uh, the importance of magazines, really. Kim Jones, the creator of this particular issue of a magazine created by uh, collects magazines, and uh, Jefferson's gone through his collection, and he just, he just points out that they, fashion magazines in particular, are deliciously addictive, vibrant time capsules of creative expression, loaded with nostalgia, romance, club and pop culture histories that continue to define our times, which is a nice yeah. summation of, of, of everything that we're doing in terms of noting magazines. Very well put. So that's our rundown. And next up, we're going to tell you all about Mod Mag NY 2019, yes, which was just a few weeks ago, but feels like just yesterday we were out there um, having head, time of our lives. My head tells me <laughs> it, was, it was still just yesterday. So yes, it happened. We did it, uh, the second one. Um, and we spent the day in an egg, 
Um, <laughs> the building was designed and built in the 30s by the American-Austrian uh, architect Joseph Urban, who apparently is very famous, I hadn't heard of him, but when you, when you Google him and find out, you realise that not only did he also design the base of the Hearst Tower, the HQ of Hearst in New York, but also uh, he was responsible for uh, Mar a Lago, Donald Trump's um, Florida resort. Oh, wow. Which is either good or bad, depending on where you Claim to fame. Uh, but that was way, way back before but Donald Trump has subsequently bought it in a listed building, so presumably he's looking after it. Uh, yeah, so that was the setting for Mon yes. Magan White. And yes. it was a beautiful, tall room that was painted in how many different shades of grey was it? Nine shades of grey. Nine shades of grey. But it was round. It was deliberately kind of created round to make it more cosy and more approachable in a big square room. And it worked like that. Yeah, it was. It, it was a like fantastic that. day. But our time in New York actually started uh, back at Vitsu. And if you listen to our previous episode of this podcast, you will know that we'd already done some events there with speakers and such like. Then the evening before Mod Mag itself, we had a drinks party at Bitsu, where they hosted it, in our pop-up shop. Um, during that time, we managed to catch some of our speakers and some of our guests and interview them and ask them a few questions about uh, what a magazine is, uh, and here's a few of them. So I'm Charlie Brinkhurstcuff, um, and I'm the new head of editorial at Galdem Magazine. Um, we are a magazine that is written exclusively um, uh, by women of colour and non-binary people of colour, and we're based in London in the UK. Galdem's remit at the moment um, is mainly as an online and print magazine so we uh, publish like pieces uh, every, every day on the site and we also publish an annual print magazine but beyond that we run events we do takeovers we do comedy panels we do storytelling events um, all sorts of things that are meant to encourage um, our community to come together and just like create those bonds that we were obviously so desperately seeking online when we first started, we wanted to translate that into the, the IRL experience, and, and that's the same with print as well. We wanted to give something, uh, people something tangible to hold on to that um, will be like historicised, um, and that they can sort of pass down to their friends and their children and so on. Yeah. The content that we publish in the print magazine goes online in a staggered way over the course of the year that it refers to. So we want it to and feel like an exclusive thing that people have access to and the articles are kind of like the cream of the crop of our digital content like this is like you know Galdem on steroids uh -huh. <laughs> um, so it's like yeah we, we don't want to sort of like release all the articles online as soon as mm -hmm. that it goes to print like you know like say a weekend like weekend magazine would do we want to like give people tastes of it on the on the, the, the site but we also want it to feel a little bit distinct and and yeah have its own voice and you have to make sure it's perfect when it goes to print. Mm -hmm. Like you have to, because mm -hmm. there's no going back. There's no making an edit. Like it has to be, yeah, just just really good. <laughs> um, and so I think just like have, having that mindset, like especially as us being like very young, busy people who do put typos in articles every now and then. Yeah, it forces us to pay more attention, and yeah, it forces us to really think about why we're including this piece in this print edition and what that's going to mean and look like for us in the future how much is it going to reflect the era that we were living living in my name is beth wilkinson and i'm the founder and editor of Lindsay magazine what makes a good magazine is like someone who is like really true to their like editorial vision you know they'll say really strong to that but then i think what makes a successful magazine is like someone who's really resilient who can like handle the like hustle and bustle of being able to like get it out there. Yeah. Uh, hi, I'm Ian Birch. I'm a writer and a consultant and I used to work at Hearst 
as editorial director in um, London and New York. So my book is called Uncovered. It's about revolutionary magazine covers. It came out last October, and it's an oral history going from the late 50s up to the present day. What do you think makes a good magazine? Uh, I think, first and foremost, a really good idea. I think people who are passionately committed to that idea, those people can all finish each other's sentences. They all manage to somehow have this kind of unique relationship where they all understand the idea but all contribute something slightly different to each other. And also, crucially, it's got to be an idea that the reader wants and it's something that the reader probably doesn't know they want until they get it. So it's kind of, you're anticipating a new need or a new, a new kind of social kind of situation or something that's new and different that people haven't had before. And it's what we used to call back in the day, it's like five minutes to midnight. So you want to deliver something just before midnight chimes when everybody else is doing it and you do it five minutes before everybody else. My name is Deidre Dyer. I'm the executive editor of No Man's Land the biannual magazine created by The Wing. What I appreciate in a magazine is um, diversity in format, just like the different ways that stories are told, not just like a Q&A or not just like a right through sort of feature. Um, I also appreciate a lot of like high and low. Like I like something that's like really thought provoking and then something that's maybe like a little silly and like <laughs> just kind of like you can kind of zone out to it. I really like Broccoli Magazine. Um, it's a magazine for people who enjoy cannabis and cannabis culture, but it's just a really great magazine and they always do an awesome job of um, making really trippy visuals and things that you can kind of like space out to like if you were high or if you're not high or you know just if you enjoy like design and colors and saturation and sort of weird shit. I'm Alison Branch, I'm Managing Director of Park Communications. We're a printing company based in uh, London and we're here because we're pleased to be uh, an ongoing supporter of uh, uh, mag culture, uh, Mod Mag London, Mod Mag Now, Mod Mag New York and uh, really great to be here, uh, great to see the indie community growing in the States and oh, over the last 12 months I can think that oh, several uh, well-known names that we've uh, produced in London for uh, the USA market. Uh, there's Anxi, there's Uncrate, uh, Gear Patrol, Primary Papers, Drone, and yeah, and why do they come to us? Because we're fast, we're flexible, and prices are Ooh, probably half the price of uh, printing in the USA and even with uh, shipping we can get it back to the USA faster and more cheaply than either printing in the USA itself or printing in Canada and yeah we love magazines. I'm Joseph Reyes I publish edit and design day plus night. I guess day plus night is it's a mixtape but in magazine form it comes in a cassette case, and inside it is a small book that is exactly the size and the heft of a, of a cassette tape. And uh, it's a perfect bound book. It has two sides, as in a the cassette. There's a side A and there's a side B. Uh, so the whole magazine is essentially essays about uh, songs that remind people of uh, strong memories in New York City. And uh, there's two sets. There's essays about um, memories that happen during the day. 
and side B is memories that happen during the night. So I collaborated with a friend of mine, and uh, you know, as with I feel like a lot of launch magazines, they're friends and friends of friends and friends of friends of friends, you know, and basically put an effort into um, going down the list, right? Um, but we also I have to say we put a lot of effort into getting as broad a range of people as possible, different walks of life, different backgrounds. And I got to say, I think I think that's the most uh, that's the thing I'm most proud of in this uh, issue is I feel like we really got a good range of people, which I think you know that's the other thing about magazines too. You get a real uh, richness of voices, you know. And uh, if you pull it off, it still sounds like one single voice. To me, I guess a magazine is anything that is serial in nature, you know. And I think beyond that, it's you know it's up for grabs. A magazine, it's all about. Uh, Essentially, it's a way of seeing the world, right? And I think that's really all you need, you know? Beyond that, the medium is, is wide open. Hi, I'm Douglas McGray, and I'm the co-founder and editor-in-chief of the California Sunday Magazine and Pop-Up Magazine. I started out as a magazine writer writing for great classic titles, doing traditional, deeply reported features, and uh, then... Uh, with some friends, we started Pop-Up Magazine, this, this live magazine. It would be performed on stage, and it would have writers and radio mm -hmm. producers and photographers and filmmakers, but we wanted it to maintain that essence of magazine-ness. And so for us, it's been a really interesting tension to make, to make this theatrical performance um, and to try and figure out how far can we get from what people think of as, as a magazine, a, a perfect bound or staple thing you get in the mail, uh, 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 and, and something that still feels like that but is, is, is far from it. And so, you know, I've, I've, I've been fascinated by anything else that I see like that, um, that, that uh, uh, either is a traditionally presented magazine that in its pages or, or, or online or on a phone is being adventurous with their content um, or something that really stretches the form factor mm -hmm. and, and makes you question... Uh, 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 is this a magazine at all? In in the in the ver for the very first shows, uh, we felt more um, uh, bound by the form, and in a good way. We had a very we had a front of the book and a feature. Well, there was a clear break. Uh -huh. um, we tried to play around with some front of the book conventions. We tried to have a moment so where kind of faster pieces. A, exactly, yeah. the sort of review the reviews, but they'd be jokey reviews mm -hmm. or like a little mini dispatch or, or things that that kind of felt like. Uh, maybe they were something that you would see in the front of a classic general interest magazine, only we were turning it 40 degrees and making it a bit weirder or a bit more theatrical, and then you would move into the feature well. Over time, we realized, actually, we don't need to be that literal about it, that, that this idea of telling stories about the world around us um, in a very literary way and in a visual way and in a multi-sensory way is, is, is inherently magazine-y. Um, so we don't need classically a, a front of the book. We need to have stories that are shorter and faster and a little bit more fun and maybe a little bit less narrative that, that take you into the show, but it doesn't need to be clearly differentiated. And at the same time, as you get deeper into it, the stories need to expand more. They need to breathe more. You need to feel like you're spending more time in places and worlds with characters. Uh -huh. That's also magazine-y, but, but, but you know, again, we're not being literal about it. So um, these days we're, we feel m m far more... We don't feel constrained at all. We feel inspired. The very first one we intended to have in a bar, uh -huh. and... Uh, and there was a very good chance that um, there was a very good chance that we would have had a screen just like that. Uh, but then we started reaching out to interesting people to be involved in the show, 
and Larry Salton, a legendary photographer, said yes, and Michael Pollan wanted to be part of it, and, and uh, Glenn Washington, before he started Snap Judgment, this big podcast, and Roman Mars, who went on to start 99% Invisible, and, and, and the Kitchen Sisters from Public Radio, and, and, and there were all these fascinating people, and we realized, I think we may have outgrown a bar before we've uh-huh. done it yet. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and so we rented a theater, which seemed like a terrifying thing uh-huh. to do. Um, but that theater at the time felt big. Now it feels very small. It was about 350 seats. You know, now we'll do a show for 3,000 people. Um, but even in that 300 seat space, we wanted to make the space feel as small and as intimate as possible. So, you know, while that screen might have literally been a representation of what we initially had in mind, I feel like now philosophically it's still a really great representation of what we have in mind because if we go into a space like Lincoln Center um, or the Greek Theater or the Paramount in Oakland um, we want to take that massive space and we want it to feel small and intimate we want the journalists on stage to feel close to the audience Mm -hmm. Um, and it's very much uh, even as it becomes a bigger production it's still very much handmade um, by a pretty small group of people Um, and just like those little screens you know we bring it to town and and pop up in a space that doesn't normally host a thing like that. The Pop-Up Magazine is our live magazine and California Sunday is our magazine magazine. And uh, when I was working on Pop-Up and as it started to grow and as we started to figure out what should we do with this, I, I got really interested in, in exactly uh, what you're talking about. I got really interested in context, in how you would be experiencing the thing, and especially in time of day. Um, and it struck me when I looked around the room at, at the audiences at Pop-Up Magazine that, that you know, it would be a, a young audience. At that time, we were only in San Francisco. People barely look up from their phones. I shouldn't say that. People look up from their phones all the time, but you know what I mean. Yeah, people yeah, are yeah, connected yeah. all the time. Yeah. And, and uh, but we would see the lights go down and people would pay attention for two hours and you wouldn't see a single mm-hmm. glowing rectangle in the room. And some of that, I thought, had to do with time of day. Um, that we, uh, you know, I think a lot of media attention, media, uh, a lot of media companies are making these bids for tiny slivers of people's attention during the daytime and nighttime is different we can invite people to come together mm-hmm. and experience something the weekend is uh-huh. another time like uh-huh. that and 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 so we had this notion of launching california sunday alongside it to bring the same sort of sensibility the same sense of story and 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 really beautiful visuals and and um and and intimacy and great reporting to a uh, to an experience that you would have by yourself, um, that you would read uh, 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 that you would read at home on the weekend when you have some time to give, when you can pay attention, when you you'll read something and remember it and tell someone about it. Um, it even though Pop Up Magazine is a live magazine in theaters at night, and California Sunday is a print and online magazine that you read at home, they share that kind mm-hmm. of sensibility of trying to reach people where they're at, reach people when they have time to give. Um, and give people something that hopefully they remember and share. Thanks to everyone who came along to the event and to all the uh, interviewees. Yes, thank you for, for contributing. So the actual day, so Mod Mag NY. Yes, the actual day. So we're back in the egg. Um, <laughs> we had a day's worth of speaking. I mean, but I think I think we know the, the general setup for, uh, for for Mod Mag these days. It's a series of speeches and talks about magazines in various ways. There's already a full report online on the journal if you want to dig deeper, but we thought we'd just run through a few highlights. Yeah, always good to do highlights. Um, mine was, and I think I, I think many of the people who were there that mm-hmm. day agreed, um, and also people said that this man was the 
the friendliest man they had ever met in their lives. <laughs> so nice to start with him. But uh, Douglas McGray from California Sunday and of Pop-Up Magazine, he was actually the first speaker of the day mm-hmm. and just kicked off with this amazing story about this empire that he's grown just from purely thinking about things in a very interesting new way. Basically, all the kind of things that maybe stand in the way of publishing magazines or making magazines, he's thought of a new way around it and has just completely succeeded. Can you tell people a bit about that, Jeremy? Because I don't really understand the distribution side of it, which sounds boring, but actually is not as genius. They're they're based um, on the West Coast in uh, San Francisco. And he noted that a number of the local uh, newspapers had dropped the expense of producing their uh, weekly supplement magazines on Sundays. And he saw an opportunity and he launched California Sunday magazine uh, as a project that would be that, that his company would produce, but then he he would sell it to the newspapers to distribute free as their color uh, as their color supplement, which is a really clever idea. So clever. Uh, not least because you know here we are several years later and it's working. It's not only he's producing the most fantastic magazine. Um, as I'm sure it's better than any magazine that was being made in the, in the first place by the newspapers before they closed their own magazine. But it, they have editorial freedom to do what they want to do, and it's fascinating for it. Yeah. I mean, this is a magazine that I'm kind of new to. I knew of it, but I'd never really devoured an issue until after uh, Doug, I think, put one in the goodie bag at ModMag, and then I took it on holiday and just and read through it. And so there's this feature in um, in this issue of the magazine called Re, 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 which is uh, a series of sort of uh, correspondence but in all different types of manners there's a glimpse it says a glimpse inside the lives of asylum seekers new couples prisoners and pen pals through their letters texts whatsapp messages and facebook posts now i just don't understand how they've managed to put this feature together because of the access they've got to people and the and then the access that people have given to them is just incredible how, how do they find these people there's a couple who there's two gamers who fell in love online and they've published the transcript of how they were speaking uh, online, and then they've got um, this incredible photo of a man who writes letters to prisoners he's never met, and it's a photo of all the different letters, but um, made into paper aeroplanes. And and then there's there's two strangers who discover their brother and sister, and it's a transcription of their I think it's their WhatsApp conversation. It's just I, I don't know how they've managed to put this feature together, but it, every page is so fascinating. And what I love about it is that it's such a kind of universal magazine. I took it on, ho- on holiday with some friends, and I was showing people, and I think everyone. Everyone who looked at it was was equally as intrigued, and I think a magazine that can really speak to anyone and can can put something down that's just so universal and it can be enjoyed by anyone who picks it up is just such a huge mm-hmm. feat. And you know, we look at a lot of niche magazines about eggs or you know, magic. like or magic or something else that actually they're great because they're windows into a new world. But sometimes you just want something that is just it just appeals to everyone and it's just so universal yeah, yeah. and it's just I, I just think doing that is, is so difficult and they've, they've really pulled it off the whole magazine is just perfectly put together I'm just so impressed and so impressed by, by Doug and what he's done and Pop-Up Magazine really just blew my mind we can come back to that later but this California Sunday Magazine is my new favourite and I don't even know how I can subscribe to it but I'm going to try you can subscribe to it okay, so it's available to subscribe <laughs> or, or you can just come and buy copies from the Mag Culture Shop okay yeah I'll do that um, <laughs> but, let's, but let's move on to pop up because after at the end of Mod Mag uh, we had a few drinks and we relaxed for a, a millisecond before we all jumped <laughs> in a cab and headed off to Brooklyn and saw the latest issue of pop up live at, at, at um, Brooklyn Academy of Music yeah it was it was incredible I'd never been I know you've been mm-hmm. before Jeremy but it was it was a, it was like being inside a live magazine it was people telling stories and then behind them are videos or animations mm-hmm. which which sort of act as the illustration or the or the photo accompaniment to the piece and 
it's gripping. It was funny. There was cheering. It was like it, when you leave, you felt like you've you've read a whole issue of a magazine, but actually you've just had it kind of spoken to you. A bit like how you, you would consume an, an audiobook. It's just a different way of consuming something. But I think what Doug said, and I think what I realised was just, it, it was so nice to consume something without the distraction of phones. Mm -hmm. And actually there was one person I could see in the audience on their phone and I was really cross about it, which I wouldn't be cross about at a gig or maybe even the theatre, but with this, I was like, put it away. Pay attention. Because <laughs> I just, it felt so sacred to be almost reading a magazine with like a thousand people. Mm -hmm. It just felt like a really great... Um, sort of group activity and, and at the end when we all came out it, there was a real buzz and everyone mm -hmm. just felt so excited about and all then, the stories they yeah. had heard and what they had seen and, and, and it's interesting I mean so many of the magazines that we feature run events and do things and part of that is because they want to meet people and, and get in front of their readers and this is very literal the magazine appears before the readers but then afterwards as you say everyone's buzzing but also they made a very explicit point that the cast will be upstairs having a drink come yeah. and join us and, yeah and, and you, you see them and you're like oh my god yeah, that's yeah, them yeah. <laughs> but you could <laughs> Even though it's just, anyway, yeah, but, um, it was fantastic. But uh, also everybody, to a man and woman, were consummate presenters. They were all brilliant, you know, yeah. in different ways, different abilities, and, uh, or different techniques, and, and, and uh, they all had their own personalities, but they were great presenters. Yeah. Which is something, I mean, I think, you know, Douglas himself at, at ModMag, and also Jodie Kwan, who spoke later in the day, Brilliant, and Nicholas, great presenters. It was actually Doug's first time speaking, he says. I know. But he nailed it. Well yeah. done, Doug. Yeah. Um, we should probably go back to some other highlights of the day. And another one for me was um, Jodie Kwan, who is director of photography for New York Magazine, telling a story that some listeners might have heard before, because I think she's talked about it in, in a few talks and interviews. But I just wanted to say, in case anyone hadn't, but it was a story she told about um, during Hurricane Sandy, living in New York. She was walking down the street one night and realised that half the city a lot of the the street lights weren't working or weren't weren't turned on and she realized that half the city was out of power and that night on a kind of she just realized that she she had to get this she had a, a picture in her mind of the cover she wanted to to do to represent this and so she managed to find a photographer and and locate a helicopter and the photographer flew up in a helicopter and shot shot manhattan from above to 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 reveal that half of it was actually completely in darkness. And then Jodie, the best bit about this was Jodie was talking about how she did this without talking to her editor and she kind of blew quite a lot of money on, on doing so. And then while it was being created in that kind of one, that one evening where it had to be done and it was all hinging on this, she was also really worried the next few days that other rival magazines, sort of New York Times or Time magazine, might have done the same thing. And that was her main concern, which I found fascinating because mm -hmm. it kind of, you don't think of maybe these big magazines being so competitive, but she was so worried that on the newsstands, they'd all have the same image. But of course, lo and behold, no one had the same idea as Jodie and no one mm -hmm. carried it off and no one even bothered trying to do that. It was just, um, it just shows that she is just so amazing at her job. And she's actually behind some of the most incredible mm -hmm. magazine covers of the last, well, many, many, many years and will continue to create them, I suppose. She was fantastic. And I think what I was pretty impressed by was in the presentation, she had lots of fantastic covers, lots of big stories to, to share, she showed lots of um, lots of smaller shots, smaller photographies, uh, and so she she really does oversee all the photography in the issue, from from yeah. the big, all guns blazing up, hiring a helicopter without permission, down to the kind of small little food shots and such like. Yeah, hearing the stories about how how and why she chose each photo, mm -hmm. and she would show a photo, and and we'd think that's the perfect cover, and she'd be like, but I chose this one instead, and you'd be like, of course, like it was just mm -hmm. it was so well put together and just so informative, and yeah, she's a total hero. Uh, any more highlights from you, Jeremy? Um, 
There's Veronica Ditting, who I interviewed. Of course, The Gentlewoman is such a well-loved and well-produced and un- well-known magazine now. Uh, but it's fascinating to get un- sort of under the skin of her working processes and, and what what kind of symbolised what we were talking about in a way was just seeing her, her trolley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the trolley she has in the studio full of... of, uh, of uh, unused designs and unused pieces of information that have been created along the way to creating the, what, the finished pages. That it's she, quite that literally a trolley yeah. full of scraps of mm-hmm. proofs, papers, documents. And it's just, it's just, I find it so funny to see the picture of that trolley because I, I just, I just imagine, you know, her, I, I just can't imagine someone who designs in the way she does to, to have anything like a messy trolley in her life. Like it seems out of character or out of place to have this big messy trolley, but I love, I love the idea that she can't throw away ideas that haven't quite made it. And maybe that's, it's just kind of seeing an insight into her as a designer and how she works, that she mm-hmm. wants to keep this big messy stack of paper just to kind of go back in case there's some gold in there that's been cast aside, love it. Uh, but alongside that, I think this is instructive for anyone who's interested in, in, in making magazines is, is she works in a very analog manner, although although the the the, the designs are very um, gridded and organised and seem thoroughly thought through, she she creates them by printing stuff out and moving it around on the page rather yeah. than just an InDesign, which is um, a reminder of the analog still. Yeah, old is, school is, is the base of it all. Yeah. She's brilliant. Um, so that was ModMag. I so mean, was there was Mod so Mag. much more, and there's going to be more on the Mag Culture website if anyone's yeah. interested. But um, there was just—it was such a great day, and thank you to all the speakers who came. Indeed. And it was just, and thank everyone you to everyone. Came. Thank you to our sponsors. Everyone came. Thank you to you, for, Liv, for hosting. That's fine. <laughs> Pleasure. Uh, we can all slap each other on the back <laughs> endlessly. Um, but then we ended the, the trip to New York with a panel discussion and a bit of a party at ADO. And sadly, you'd already left. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, but we had Perrin Drum from uh, Iron Design, Caitlin Thompson from Racket, and Alexander Tochilovsky, who spoke last year uh, uh, in New York, who's from um, the Herb Libalian archive. And we were talking about indies, but um, about independent publishing. And it, both Perrin and Caitlin came across very strongly in terms of you know, wanting to make a business out of their magazines. And they're both uh, achieving that with some, uh, some great degree of success. Uh, but we also were comparing New York, New York and London, and that was a sort of key thing that we wanted to get out that evening. And they raised some really intriguing comparisons. Um, uh, and it might surprise people to hear that, that I mean, that coming from New York, they both look very envious, enviously on London, the situation here in terms of the support that a lot of magazines get, but also, I mean, the broader support from, from um, arts organisations and, and the support for the arts here. And we sometimes maybe imagine we exist in, in a situation where all, all arts funding is being cut back but compared to New York they, we still have it we have it good apparently yeah that's nice to hear which isn't is it? good to hear <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it was, it's an intriguing conversation we, we again we posted the audio last week on the website so it's there to be listened to but it's interesting hearing from Americans about what they're what they're making of the London scene so that's it and join us after the break to hear about our back issue London Printers Park Communications are a key part of the independent publishing scene, helping ambitious magazine makers make their dreams a reality in both the UK and the US. Park offer a wide range of services to make your magazine stand out in a shop like Mag Culture. Check the new issue of San Francisco-based Banksy, the beautifully designed magazine about our inner worlds, to see how good printing can make a magazine stand out from the crowd. 
Bike Mag Culture, Park Communications Love Magazines, and we're proud to have them sponsor this podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Mag Culture podcast. Um, if you're still listening, hope you are. Uh, we're going to do our monthly back issue feature where Jeremy picks out a magazine from his loaded shelves and tells <laughs> us all about it. And this month is a magazine called Speak. Yeah, so Speak uh, was published in the, again in the mid-90s, roughly the same time as Raygun, and that's why I wanted to um, include it this time, because it uh, shares an aesthetic with Raygun in terms of the typography and the general approach. Uh, and it, indeed, it was initially designed by David Carson, who, uh, who did Raygun. But it came into its own with, uh, when they took on Martin Vineski as the art director, and he and the editor, Dan Rolari, made a really special magazine that used and... and Use typography and the vernacular of, of, of American design to create a unique aesthetic. And it's a beautiful magazine. It's, it's a more general cultural magazine than Ray Gunn. Um, and and in, in that sense, it, you know, we're flicking through and, and it's not something you've seen before, Liv, but, it, no. but you, you noted there was, a, there was probably, I think, the first American coverage of the Stephen Lawrence case from London, which seems bizarre turning up in this magazine from San Francisco. Yeah, that, that was fascinating to see that and to see how it was reported and the way they chose to use imagery to um, sort of convey what was going on. It was really interesting. Also, just seeing other interesting articles that you wouldn't necessarily find in other magazines. There was one about the launch of Antiques Roadshow in the US after the success on mm-hmm. British television. There was, it, it's a very interesting magazine that kind of pulls in very um, like difficult stories, like Stephen Lawrence and what happened there and there's and then other stories like that alongside it plus some kind of more silly features it's it's very strange but very um very beguiling and the design of it is it's clever and engaging it's kind of like a really really great weekly but done in a kind of more mm-hmm. zine like way it's yeah it's it's it, it's all it was almost ahead of its time I, I can't help feeling it i wonder if it would find a bigger audience now when the independent scene is much more bigger and much more supportive because uh, it's all it, Although, it, having said that, in a way, it was almost so broad that perhaps it needed to be more niche yeah. in order to yeah. get an identity. <laughs> but uh, it's extraordinary. But anyway, it lasted 21 um, issues. And if you're interested to find out more about that, I think it's, I believe it's still online. But if you search Speak magazine, in, in that 21st issue, they presented a, a sort of conversation between the principals. Uh, between Martin Vineski and Dan Rolari and some of the other people involved about how the magazine came about and the problems they had keeping it going and then subsequently in the end uh, why it died. Uh, but it's a beautiful magazine that sort of spanned it and it absolutely did tick all the boxes in terms of what um, Jefferson Hack said in that quote we did earlier yeah. about reflecting its time and its era and being a kind of little time capsule. So I, I encourage you to track it down. Well, I think that's all we've got time for this month, but thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Yeah, thanks, Liv.